Good afternoon. If you have a Bible, would you please take it and turn to Psalm 8? Psalm 8, the large book of Psalms, right there in the middle of your Bible, and the eighth one in that book. And I want to begin by reading this text that was also our text for last Sunday. Um, Psalm 8. The title given is, To the Choir Master, According to the Gittith, a Psalm of David. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly, heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. As we considered the stewardship of creation from Psalm 8 last Sunday, we said that as God's image bearers, we are called to care for God's creation. There is a responsibility rooted in Genesis 1, and exercising dominion in the earth as God's representatives is a part of his image in us. And while we and the world are broken by the fall, the, the call to care for God's creation is still a part of, of who we are. In fact, I would say for those of us who have been redeemed by Jesus Christ, the call to walk in the ways of Jesus, who is the second and the greater Adam, that call would seem, that would seem to indicate that we are in fact best equipped to care for the physical world while being armed with this knowledge that one day all creation will be redeemed. These thoughts and some more led us to say last week that when we care for creation, we glorify God and love our neighbor. Something unique about our care for creation as opposed to God's care for creation is that unlike him, we are actually a part of creation. We are made by the, the word of the Lord, as was everything else. And yet David tells us we were also made a, a little lower than the angels and crowned with glory and majesty, such that every human being filled with the breath of life uniquely reflects God's person and character in this world in a way that trees and stars and mountains and animals cannot. So we are a part of creation, and we are uniquely called to care for creation as the crown of creation. So where am I going with this introduction? This is where I'm going. If we are to care for creation, which we established last week, hopefully, and if we are a unique and even exalted part of creation, as God's word tells us, then we must care for one another. While we are called to care for the natural world, we are uniquely called to protect and seek the flourishing of our fellow human beings, every single one of them, especially the most vulnerable. 
to that end, this is our big idea for today. We image God by valuing and loving all people created in his image. We image God, we, we reflect him, we show who he is, we model his character, how? By valuing and loving all people created in his image. We image God by valuing and loving all people created in his image. We are thinking on these things on this day because today is Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. It's a day set aside to celebrate the gift of life given by God. It's a day to remember the lives lost to abortion, and it's a day to commit ourselves to protecting life at every stage and to protecting the life of every person. It falls on this Sunday because of its proximity to January 22nd, which is the day in 1974 that the Supreme Court legalized abortion on demand in the United States through their decision in the case Roe versus Wade. Now, there is no doubt that this ruling over 45 years ago did much to push forward the narrative that abortion is a right that all women should have. However, I would say I've recently been concerned that when we tie the issue of abortion directly to this ruling, directly to this date, we are led to believe that the overturning of this court decision will solve the issue. That if the right person is in the right office, then abortion will be gone from our nation, and if the wrong person is in office or the wrong people are in charge, then there is no hope. And I think that that subtle and unconscious message may lead us to think that the fight against the evil of murdering unborn children is primarily political and secondarily theological, which is wrong. There is a place for politics on this issue, but we are the church, we are children of God, and our longing as children of God through faith in Christ is deeper than seeing laws changed. Our more foundational hope and desire is that people would see the value of human lives and long for the flourishing of all people made in God's image. We long that people would know the resurrection life and the abundant life that Jesus has come to give us through repentance and faith and through walking in his ways. We want people to be transformed by Christ so that they would come to see the evil of killing those made in his image, who's killing those that, that are made in his image. The, the evil of destroying a human being whose only unhuman characteristic is that they are still in their mother's womb, which is actually about as human as you can get, isn't it? So our hope as Christians runs much deeper than politics and policies because our hope is that hearts will be changed by the gospel, that our, our fellow image bearers would be captured by the reality that the goal of creation and the goal of our lives is for the whole earth to be filled with the glory of God, that we would all be striving to see all of creation, including every human being, magnify and make God's name great. And in our text for today, David helps us to see that God's name is uniquely praised by babies. <laughs> but before he even mentions the exalted place of humanity in creation, before he even talks about the image of God in all people, he says this in verse 2 of Psalm 8. Out of the mouth of babies and infants you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. 
Let me read that again. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, not just children, babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. From this verse, as we kind of think about our main idea, I want us to first see this. The life of an unborn child sings praise to God and silences God's enemies. The life of an unborn child sings praise to God and silences God's enemies. Pause with me and consider how counterintuitive this verse is. It says that God defeats his enemies through infants, specifically through the mouths of infants, through their, their cries and their praises. The, the, this verse goes against our reason and our logic because human babies are uniquely weak and dependent. In an article that I found on a website called Live Science, or maybe it's Live Science, let's say LiveScience.com, it's titled, Why Are Human Babies So Helpless? This is what the author writes. Some animals come into this world more self-sufficient than others. Many can fend for themselves without any parental supervision almost immediately. Picture baby sea turtles hatching on the sand and then somehow finding their way to the ocean. Other animals like newborn giraffe calves are able to clamber upright and walk around on their own within hours of birth. Human babies, however, are a different story. For the first two months of life, they can't lift their heads without help. They usually roll over for the first time at about four months and sit up at around six months. They usually, they usually start standing at about nine months and take their first tentative steps at around one year old. But even then, babies are just getting started. Fine-tuning the most basic survival skills such as walking and feeding themselves takes at least another year or more. And the little ones generally re remain dependent on parents or caregivers for well over a decade before they're even able to begin to navigate parts of the world on their own. And yet, and yet David tells us that it's through babies and through their praises that God has ordained strength to defeat his enemies. What does that mean? I think it means this. I think it means that human weakness glorifies God and allows God to defeat all of our enemies. Human weakness, your weakness and my weakness, it glorifies God. Why? Because it allows God to defeat all of our enemies. Infants remind us that we are all much more helpless than we would like to think. And our Father is constantly seeking to remind us how weak we really are and how he must fight for us. It's why when the Israelites defeated Jericho, they did it by walking around it rather than using their, their military might. It's why God chose Israel in the first place. He tells us he chose them, why? Because they were the smallest of the nations. It's why King David, the author of this psalm, the youngest and the least kingly of his brothers, it's why he was chosen to be Israel's greatest king. It's why Jesus came as what? A baby. It's why he lived in an obscure town and defeated wickedness, wickedness through weakness. William Still, this great old preacher that I found through the wonder of the internet who has passed, he expounded on Psalm 8-2 in this way in a sermon that I listened to. This is what he said. What is there in the cries of unweaned infants to vanquish the powers of evil? 
Well, you see, that touches something exceedingly profound, as profound as the reason why the Lord of glory saw fit to humble himself to become part of his own creation as a mortal man and to endure the most horrible death at the hands of his foes, bidding Peter put up his sword because the world would only be won by weakness and by strong submission to evil. You say, what? Yes, weakness and strong submission to evil. Still goes on. He says, on the cross, so assured was he, was Jesus, that he was in the hands of his father, that he gave himself into the hands of the devil for the devil to do with him as he would. And we can imagine that this was the devil's opportunity to draw upon all the armory of his hellish ports to do his worst on Jesus, whom he hated devilishly. And when he had drawn his last arrow and failed, Satan collapsed and Jesus with great dignity, bowed his head and gave up the ghost. He had defeated the powers of evil by giving himself utterly into their hands and knowing that Satan could never master him. Yes, Jesus knew that the world would only be won by weakness and by strong submission to evil. It was in the final week of his life as he entered Jerusalem humbly riding on a donkey that the children saw who he was and the children cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The weakest people knew who he was. And when the powerful told Jesus to make them be silent, you know what he quoted? He quoted Psalm 8 two. In Matthew 21, 16, he says to them, have you never heard out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise? And not just infants, by, but by extension, we can affirm that the life of an unborn child sings praise to God and silences God's enemies. They remind us of our weakness and our inability to save ourselves. They point us to the way of faith that says, all my righteousness is like filthy rags, and therefore, God, you must save, and you alone. And God can. He can because of Jesus who came in great weakness and in strong submission to evil and thereby defeated death and hell and sin and Satan by dying for our sins and then rising triumphantly. And therefore, therefore it is not only the, the life of an unborn child that sings to the Father, but let's say this secondly, the lives of all who admit their weakness and find their hope in Jesus sing praise to God and silence his enemies. The lives of every person who admits their weakness and finds their hope in Jesus sings praise to God and silences his enemies. Remember what Jordan read earlier? That it is the weak and the foolish of the world that the Lord has chosen? And why does Paul say that God did that? So that no human might boast in the presence of the Lord. None of us were saved because we're strong. Therefore, we who are weak and helpless must care for the weak and the vulnerable and the oppressed and the rejected. We image God by valuing and loving all people created in his image. And in doing that, we image his gospel. Evil, evil seeks to snuff out and kill weakness in some show of pretend strength. But haven't we been reminded recently of how ugly the strength of man is? 
How unlike Jesus it is to take by force and to flex our non-existent human muscles. That's not the way of the cross. The strength of Jesus, the strength we see in Jesus, the strength that we are to show to the world is in valuing and loving and laying down our lives for all people, especially the weakest, especially the most vulnerable. And so on the heels of a turbulent year that has bled into a tumultuous month, we would do well to remember not only the sanctity of unborn lives, but the sanctity of every life made in the image of God, especially the weak and the oppressed. Let me be very clear. If we believe that abortion is the murder of a human being created in the image of God, and I believe that, then the emphasis on condemning abortion and championing the right to life for unborn children is right. It is right to focus on that. However, while we can rightly emphasize the evil of abortion and the humanity of children in the womb, we cannot ignore the sanctity of human life and the many sins other than abortion that dehumanize and steal life from people created in the image of God. We can acknowledge the evil of murdering an unborn child because of our belief that every person is created in the image of God. But we can also be grieved by the evils of racism, sexual abuse, exploitation, and the like. We can advocate for human rights, the human rights of refugees and immigrants, whatever their legal status might be. We can recognize the oppression of women that has happened throughout history and that continues to this day. We can speak for the mentally and physically handicapped. We can seek the good and the flourishing of the elderly that are so often shoved to the side. And we do this because of the truth of Psalm 8, 5 through 8, that applies to every life, that God has made every person in his image. Because every person, every person without qualification is created in the image of God and is made to worship our Father and reflect his glory in this world. The image and glory of God is seen in children, it's seen in men, it's seen in women, it's seen in every tribe and tongue and people and nation. This psalm is a, a psalm of praise that reminds us that the Lord's name is excellent and it is to be exalted in all the earth. That God ordains praise from the weakest image bearer and calls all image bearers to worship him. The cry that bookends this psalm, let everything that has breath praise the Lord is a call to worship. That's not the, the cry. The cry here is, O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. That bookends this, it's a call to worship, and therefore it's a call for, for all who are created in God's image to do what they were made to do, give glory to God. But maybe this year we could sum up the message of the sanctity of human life Sunday by drawing on another call to worship that I already told, said. It's in Psalm 150. And that psalm, and the entire book of Psalms ends then with another call to worship, similar to the one we find here in Psalm 8. It's this, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And so today I would say to you, let everything, let everyone, let every image bearer have breath. I think that's, the first call for us on this day is let everything have breath. Let everyone breathe. 
so that they might by God's grace praise the Lord with their every breath. We as God's image bearers speak this message to our culture, a culture that is marked often by death and suffocation and silence. And so without discrimination, we say, let everyone breathe. Let let the unborn baby breathe. Will we destroy him before his lungs have even developed? Will we kill her after 26 weeks when she has lungs and can breathe? As God's children, we say, let everything that has the hope of breath be allowed to breathe and to live and to praise the Lord. And so we fight for the life of every child in the hopes that they might live and breathe and praise the Lord. And we support mothers and fathers who simply feel like the birth of a child is going to suffocate them. Those who are scared, who are pressured, who are confused, who panic under the pressure of an unplanned pregnancy and feel like they can't breathe. We acknowledge God's image in them and we seek to help them so that they might let the baby live and that they might live to the praise of God's sustaining grace. We listen with sympathy and with brokenness as African-American and black men and women take up the words of George Floyd. Do you remember his final plea? He said, I can't breathe. As people, we see God's image in all people, regardless of their skin pigmentation. And we say, let those who feel like they can't breathe be allowed to breathe. Let them speak and voice their pain and their frustrations and their anger. Let them have breath and praise the Lord and let us have ears to hear the voice of anyone who feels like they don't matter or who senses that the the world is trying to silence them or even just kill them. So we listen. We listen with compassion when women who are broken by the past and the present evil, they say, me too. To those who have been abused, taken advantage of, who feel like no matter how much they talk or how much breath they spend, that they're not heard. We as a church are called to love them and to listen to them. We're called to protect and to seek forgiveness, to be a part of the healing of those made in God's image who have been treated as objects used for personal pleasure. Let everyone who has breath, but who has been told to be silent, or who has been scared into silence, know the hope of the gospel and be able to praise the Lord. Let the church be the place, not of wounding as it so often has been, but a place of healing and a place where people can breathe. To those who are refugees and immigrants, 
fleeing oppression or seeking just the hope of a better life, we as God's people see in every face a person made in the image of their creator, made in the image of our Father. And so we take up the cry of the Statue of Liberty. We take it up, though, not as Americans. We take it up as the church. We take it up as children of God, and we say, give me, again, as the church, give us, give me your tired and your poor, your huddled masses yearning to what? To breathe free the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, the tempest-tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden shore. And we shine like a city on a hill when we do this. Debate immigration policy all you want. We need to. But love for the immigrant, love for the refugee fills the pages of Scripture. And we must model that love. We must image God's love for us in doing it. Because when we were strangers, when we were aliens, what did the Father do? He welcomed us in. And so we must love and welcome everyone. You know, without a fully formed theology, our culture has announced in the midst of this pandemic, let everyone have breath. As hard as this has all been, there's a value of human life that has emerged, and it's one that we as Christians should not push against, but we should step in and round out with gospel hope. And so we, we can seek to do what we can to, to joyfully make the sacrifices that we're called to make so that people can literally breathe. And in doing so, we announce God's image in every person, especially the elderly and the weak and the poor. We say that their lives are valuable and that they should be able to breathe and praise the Lord who made them and sustains them. Brothers and sisters, this, this is the message that we have to the world right now. Let everyone have breath. Because everyone is made in God's image and in valuing the life of others as well as their flourishing, we also value their souls. And so we say, let everyone have breath and let everything that has breath praise the Lord. We say to all people without discrimination that they are made to worship the Lord, that their chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. We call people into the true life that is only found through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, whereby he gives us new life and he gives us the hope of eternal life with him. We image God by valuing and loving all people, all people created in his image. So let us image him by being a voice that calls out to those who will listen and calls out even to those who will not. Let everyone have breath and let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Would you pause with me for a moment of silence as we reflect on God's word and then I will pray. Father, you are the giver of all life and breath. The fact that we are breathing now is by your grace. And the fact that we breathe the truth of the gospel into our spiritual lungs is because of your grace. Lord, remind us that we are weak. Remind us how small we are, not just from 
looking at the moon and the stars that you've made by the work, by the power of your hand, by the power of your fingers, but even as we look at babies and infants, remind us, Lord, that that's how we come into the kingdom as little children with no strength whatsoever, but faith alone. Lord, make us people who seek the good of this world, who seek for people to have life and life to the full, to allow everyone to breathe and to flourish in this world. And Lord, that we would point people in the midst of that valuing of all life to also praise you, the giver of life. Father, we have not done this as well as we sometimes think we have. So help us. Help us to see where we, even as your image bearers, devalue life. Where we suffocate and silence others. And help us to be those who realize that it's only through love and valuing all people that we can speak the truth in this world. Make us consistent, Father. Ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.